0: We good? Ready? Roll. First John chapter four. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you need one under a seat nearby you, uh, you'll find a copy of God's Word Uh, for the book of First John. We're studying together as a church. If uh, you're newer to navigating the Bible, you will find it towards the back of your Bible. Um, uh, as you uh, find where we're at this morning, just want to r- remind you today is Orphan Sunday. Uh, when you leave here, stop by that table out there. It'll uh, help you understand how to engage or how your family can engage in global orphan care, uh, local foster care, and then how you might be able to even come around some of the families in our church who are fostering or in the process of adopting. So uh, that table in the lobby can help you, uh, guide you in that way. Uh, this book we've been studying, uh, today I think is week number 15 in our series through 1 John. Uh, the book of 1 John is just over 2,000 words in length. Uh, what that means is uh, it's about twice the length of a typical blog post in our day. This is a short letter. Um, uh, in, in it, you, know, you can just look in your Bible and you look at the beginning of 1 John, you flip the page, boom, we're done. Uh, It is a relatively short letter, and yet uh, three different times in this book, John gives some extensive focus to this topic of loving one another. Uh, the way John writes this letter, and we talked about this over and over again, is kind of this corkscrew effect. He, he's saying, I want you to rest assured. I want you to have your uh, assurance of, your, uh, of the fact that you're in Christ. And so he says, let's talk about that. Let's talk about who the true Christ is. And let's talk about the fact that uh, those who are in Christ don't continue in patterns of sin and disobedience. And let's talk about how true Christians love one another. And throughout this letter, he just kind of corkscrews his way over and over to these three main topics. We come again to a section on loving one another. And and if you look in your Bible, the way chapter 3 ended was an extensive section on loving one another. He says, let's talk about loving one another. Let's talk, as we did last week, about testing the spirits. And now let's go right back and talk some more about loving one another. This is why John is often called the, uh, the apostle of love, the disciple of love. And what I love about his story and the fact that he's called the disciple of love is this is the same guy who, when he was walking with Jesus and they were rejected at a town that they walked into, was like, hey, Jesus, you want to call down fire from heaven and just burn them all up? And Jesus is like, uh, no, no, we're not going to do that. This is that guy. Something has radically transformed the guy who wanted to call down fire from heaven and just burn up an entire town into the guy who's known as the disciple of love. And so um, we look today at a section on what it means for us to love one another. Now, uh, Jesus says this that we have recorded in John 13, verse 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Like when we just stop and think the simplicity of that statement, Jesus has just said, what will mark, what will be the distinguishing mark of the Jesus community is how we love each other. He didn't say, by this all people will know that you are my disciples by the things you just profess to believe with your mouth, as important as that is. He says the distinguishing mark is how we love one another. He didn't say by this all your neighbors will know that you are my disciples when they see you back your car out of the driveway on Sunday mornings going to church. He didn't say by this everyone on the highway will know because of the Jesus fish on the back of the car. He says by this everyone will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. And so my my question for us today, and what we set out to unpack today, is what would it look like for us as a family, for us as part of just one local church that's part of this intricate fabric of the global church, what would it look like when the family of Christ has this supernatural love taking place amongst them. When you read Acts, when you read the the account of the very first church, aren't, isn't there something inside of your heart that you're like, that, that, like that's what I think it's supposed to be, God, that's what I want. What would happen if that kind of love, that's not based on us trying to work up love inside of us and and let's go I got to try better and frankly when I try in my own strength to be a loving person I'm okay at it for a little while and then I just get plain tired out because some people are just hard to love none of you in here um, (laughs) but people not in this there's people out there that are just hard to love. This is a supernatural thing that the Spirit of God indwelling indwelling in us allows us to do. And this is why, uh, right away, you get to verse 7, and and John lays out the command right here for us. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. Now, what we probably expect to come in the rest of this paragraph are all of these practical ways in which we can love one another. What you would expect to find after a command of love one another is, and now let me tell you and help you look at each other and figure out how you love one another. And that's not at all where John is about to go. In fact, this paragraph is broken up very interestingly. He says, let me give you the command, love one another. Right after he gives the command, he says, let's look at God's love for us. And then the paragraph ends so go love one another. He gets our eyes vertical to look at how God has graciously and audaciously lavished his love on us and he knows that once our eyes are there, we in turn will be loving people. He understands that those who truly understand deep down in the depths of their heart how much they have been shown love will in turn show love. And so he doesn't go love one another now let's talk about all these practical ways. Pay for the order of the person behind you in the drive-thru. Go give to your friend's GoFundMe page to buy a dog. Such a millennial move, by the way, right? <laughs> He's like, no, we don't need to go to the practicalities of it here He's like, you know what we need to do? We need to look up and see how God has loved us, and it'll grip our heart in such a way that naturally what will flow out is love to other people. And so um, three parts to today's message today. Part one, we're just going to look at this simple command to love one another. We're just going to see it in its simplicity. We're going to understand what it says, and it'll lead us to part two. Um, What is the audaciously gracious love of God? How do we know that he's loved us? What do we look for in the fact that he's loved us? And then part three, um, the simple command to love one another in light of the audaciously gracious love of God. That simple. Let's pray and let's get into it. Father, help us now. We really mean that, that we need your help. Uh, Lord, we know that we can't love in the way you have defined love in our own strength God, we know that we may have, um, we may not understand well in our culture exactly how you would even define love. And so, Lord, we're asking for your word to shape our minds and to shape our hearts. We're asking that, Lord, as we walk through this paragraph, um, we would not just get with our head what you have done to love us, but we would grip our heart. And Lord, um, we're asking you that once that grips our heart, we would walk out of here ready to obey this command to love one another. And so God, would you help us now as we pour over your word in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So uh, part one of this message, uh, understanding the simple command that we're given here to love one another. Um, uh, The anatomy of a sermon. Let's talk about the anatomy of a sermon. How do I think about preaching the word? And this will have a point, I promise. Um, I take a section of Scripture And if you've been around here long enough, then you start to go, Lord, help me understand what this says. And Lord, help me explain what this says. And Lord, um, what, do you, what do you mean here? Like, what, 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 do, what do I need to understand about the words and how you've structured the words together and how this flows with what came before it and how it's flowing into what's coming after it? And so like all week long, most, uh, a lot of my job is sitting, asking the Lord questions like this, interrogating his text and trying to figure out. And so I came to these verses this week and on Monday and on Tuesday, I'm like, Lord, What does this say, and and what's the Greek, and what's the syntax, and what's all this? And finally, Wednesday morning, I opened it up, I got ready to study, and I just started laughing at myself, because the Holy Spirit said, "Uh, Brock, it means what it says. (laughs) Beloved, let us love one another. Yeah, it's that simple. If you want to know what that means in the Greek, it means, beloved, love one another. We don't need to understand the Greek syntax of this. We don't need to know. We literally, it means what it says, that the command here is that God's people would would be full of this supernaturally empowered love for each other. And it means what it says when he says, for love is from God. Whoever uh, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then it means what it says when he says very directly and in, in some places, maybe a little scarily, Um, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love he's just saying you're a child of God you're gonna love because God is love and it's impossible to know him it's impossible to be a son or a daughter of him and not love now The question, and it's a good one, especially in our day, in our culture, is uh, probably the thing we do need to focus on understanding from this part is, what is love? What is love? (laughs) You know you were going there, right? That singer, whoever it is, asked a great question. What is love? And, you know, if we head down to the mall right now and... and, um, We just interviewed, like, what is love? What is love? How many different answers to that question would we get? So what is love? Now, fortunately for us, John knew that there's no way we could actually live out this command of loving one another without an understanding of what love is. And so what does he do? He gives us the perfect picture of perfect love. Verse nine, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. It just means in this, the love of God was shown among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He stated the command, beloved, love one another. John, what is love? He says, let's look at love. Let's understand love. And he's like, the only way we can understand love love, the fixed point we are looking at that will, that will drive us towards love, the pivot point, the, the epicenter of what love is, is made manifest among us in God sending His Son in order for us to live through Him. Not that, not that we first loved Him, but He loved us. And sent his son to be the, one of, my mo, one of my favorite words in all of scripture, to be the propitiation for our sin. He says, if we want to understand love, and if we want to actually have supernatural power to love one another, we must look at God's love lavished down upon us. And it's in the sending of a son who is the propitiation for our sins. This is the second time John brings up this idea of propitiation. Uh, As we began chapter 2, we talked about this. And if you were here, it was the Sunday we had a table and a a jar full of red water. And we said uh, propitiation means that the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross and we we shook that cup until not a drop was left. The word propitious means to be favorably disposed towards. And so the only way God is favorably disposed towards us is because Jesus has taken as the scapegoat all of our sin upon himself that the moment we cry out on jesus in faith we are saved we're declared righteous before the lord and the lord looks propitiously towards us he is favorably disposed towards us jesus takes the full wrath not one ounce of it left for us and now god is favorably disposed towards us as sons and daughters that is the audacious love of god he says, like, when you sit in that, and oh, I'm praying, because how many times for how many years I sat in church and I heard a pastor say stuff like that over and over and over again. Rock, what are you gonna hear this Sunday at church? Jesus died for my sin, he loves me. That's how I would talk about it for so long. And then at 19 years old, the Lord turned the lights on. And I could no longer just repeat with my mouth and understand with my head all of these things. He grabbed my heart with it. Oh, I'm praying some of you, lifelong church glowers, would have your heart grabbed by it today. He is the propitiation for your sin, He's taken it. The moment you put faith in Him, you are saved. There's not an ounce of the wrath of God that he's waiting for to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I let Jesus take most of that. But there's that one thing that one night, man, I can't wait till you get up here. You're going to get it for that. It's not how it works. He took it all. And you have a heavenly Father who's now favorably disposed towards you, not because you lived favorably, because you had a Savior who took your sin and has given you his righteousness. This is when, when we get that, when we get God's love shown to us in that kind of way, this is when you see the radical transformation of the super unloving dude who you're like, who is that guy? How is dad talking so kindly? How did grandpa become so gentle? How did that guy become a completely different person? Their heart has been captivated by how God has loved them. And in turn, they become loving. Because once you know that God, you can't not mimic his character. and Because... And because this this paragraph, you have the command, love one another. You're going to come back to the command, love one another. But sandwiched in the middle there is all content about God's love for us. I just want to make sure that we get, kind of in our words, everything that this is unpacking about God's love. So let's just list some things about God's love. God's love, as we find it given to us here first, it it intentionally pursues and draws near. God's love and God intentionally pursues us and he draws near and I just want to read verse 9 for us again in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son where did God send his only son open book quiz what's it say wow like that was an epic f where did God send his only son that's massive that's Christmas Like, as we turn the corner into the Christmas season, we are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. God sent his son into the world. He incarnated among us. He came here. God's love compels him to pursue and to draw near. Now, God sent his son into the world. He came among us. Um, God's love, secondly, gives life. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. We aren't really living until we meet Jesus. And some of you are like, no, that's bull. My lungs are working, my heart is pumping. I am upright, I'm here, I'm listening, I can see, I'm alive. You are physically alive. God, by his grace, gives us physical life. But until the moment where we call on Jesus in faith, we are spiritually flatlined. And God calls us into life the moment we put faith in Christ. He has sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Oh, that some of you in here would truly start living today by crying out on Jesus to be saved. God's love is not transactional. It's not transactional. Look at what verse 10 says. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God, in his goodness towards us, was not sitting up there going, Brock, I'm watching. Brock, I'm watching. As soon as you start loving me, I'll love you. But not one second earlier. As soon as you draw near to me, come on, I'll come to you. But I'm not going to lavish my love until you love me. He loved and pursued me before I loved him. It wasn't a transactional thing he was waiting on. Brock, you do this for me, and then I will love you. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And God's love, fourthly, is this. It's self-sacrificing. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was sent to bear the wrath of God, For us to put faith in him to be favorably disposed by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, he was completely and utterly self-sacrificing. The day Jesus hung on a cross was the day God hung on the cross. Completely giving all. So John says, love one another. Okay, John, how do we do that? Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. How he came, how he incarnated among us, how he went to the cross, the propitiation for our sin, giving completely everything, and now he comes back, verse 11. Here he says it again, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, he says, in light of all we just talked about there, In light of everything I just wrote, if God has loved you like that, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I think if John was here with us, he'd say, like, how can we experience that kind of love lavished on us and then withhold love from our brother's and sisters. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want to take the same list that we looked at, describing God's love for us, and I just want to give us some handlebars to hold on to leaving here of what God may be calling us to do as we seek to love one another. We said God's love first intentionally pursues us. God's love draws near. Might the Holy Spirit put someone on your heart or a family on your heart or people within our midst who need to be intentionally pursued and drawn near to. If God has so loved us like this, us as Christians, Christians, ambassadors of Christ ought to mimic this love and how we love one another. Who needs to be intentionally pursued? Who needs to be drawn near to? In general, often people who need to be intentionally pursued are people amongst the family right here who have just utterly blown it in the last season of life. When, When we completely blow it, Make a decision that just sends life in a tailspin. The natural response can often be to slowly distance ourselves from people instead of intentionally jumping in the trenches with them and drawing near. Them. Who needs to be drawn near to today? People who are hurt need to be drawn near to. And it's hard. And it, like, grief sets in Sometimes we as family members, and I'm speaking about family members in the sense of spiritual family, we don't always know what to do. We don't always know what to say. We don't always know how to love. Just draw near and be there. And yeah, you might say something dumb, but draw near to love one another. We said God's love gives life. Jesus Christ is the giver of life. We live through him. There's people in the family who God will put on your heart to love in such a way that you remind them that it's Jesus who is your life giver. There's people you will meet this week who don't yet know Jesus. You need to introduce them to the life giver. Loving one another compels us to preach the gospel to unbelievers and to preach the gospel to believers to remind them of the gospel truths. Loving one another means giving life. Loving one another means it's not transactional. All of us have some people that might come to mind where we think, you know what, I've done so much. I'll start loving them once they start loving me. It ain't transactional. Who in your life are you waiting on right now? You know what? No, they can can make the first move. I've done enough. They can come meet me. Just keep pursuing love. You're like, but I don't even like them. I didn't ask you to. God asks us to love them. You're like, can we love people we don't like? Sure. If love is self-sacrifice and commitment and, and, and pursuing them in love long before they'll ever reciprocate that, we can love radically long before we even like someone. Right now, what I mean by that is inside you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings. You run three errands after work just so you don't have to go home yet. Pursue Him in love, it's not transactional. He didn't wait until we started loving him, he said, I'm going after him. God's love is self-sacrificing. Oh, that God would help us grow in complete and utter self-forgetfulness. God, don't make me selfless. That just means less of Brock. Help me forget myself in such a way that we can pour it out in serving God. Other people serving our spouses, serving our kids, serving our co-workers, serving, serving, serving. Completely self-sacrificing. Now, what happens when God's people start to love like that? Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. We all we all on the same page with that? He's invisible. He's actually commanded that we don't make any sort of physical thing to say like that's God. He's invisible. God is spirit. John says no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I think John is saying there, no one has ever seen God. But when God's peace begin to love one another supernaturally empowered by the spirit of God to love one another little reflections of the love of God begin to spread all across this broken and unloving world one of the ways God manifests his love to this world is by us being little reflectors of showing God's love each other and so church if you would just stand with me we're going to sing in response to this but I would say this if you're in the room here today I made a lot of mention of calling on Jesus in faith we spent some time there unpacking propitiation you're like I feel like I have no idea anything he was just saying through that whole part right there Here's the cliff notes. God loves you. He created you. He created you for relationship. We, you and me, and everyone in here have broken that with sin. I don't need to convince you that you've sinned. Sin is our disobedience against God. You and I both know we have done things God said not to do and we haven't done things God told us to do. Our sin requires penalty. The penalty for our sin is death. But God has loved us enough to send his son to take the death penalty on your behalf and on my behalf on the cross. And what he calls us to is put, to put our complete faith in Jesus Christ to be safe from our sin. He knows that you can't live a morally upright life to earn your way to him. He knows you need a rescuer. He knows you need a savior. He knows you need to be redeemed and to be bought back. And he has done that through the death of his son. He calls you to call on him in faith. Today, you must call on him in faith. Today, you don't delay. Today, you call on Jesus. You tell the person you came with. You come up front right here at the end of the service and you say, I need to meet Jesus today. And then for those of you in the room who do know Jesus, um, I would encourage you, as you hear a message on loving one another, the Holy Spirit may convict you in some specific ways. We're a family here. I would encourage you before you walk out these doors to grab someone to tell them the Holy Spirit has prompted that this week I need to, dot, dot, dot. Will you pray with me right now that I would have the boldness to do that? And will you text me by Friday? to make sure that I did. You're like, man, that seems invasive. That seems weird. We're invasive and weird. We're family, okay? The family has grown through the years. We've had to add some leaves to the table for family gatherings, but may we never stop being family. And when the Lord says, I need to do something, we need to tell family and we need to help family be obedient to do it. Father, will you help us now? Lord, I'm praying that the first thing that we do when we leave here isn't just to think of the 10 ways we need to be practically loving this week. I pray the first thing is we would go back and we would read these pat these, this passage for ourselves and we would say, Lord, would you take the truths of how you have loved us and would you put them deep down in my heart? Because when that happens, Lord, you'll make us loving Lord, where we are called to specific obedience this week, God, would you give us the courage to obey and would you help us to invite the rest of the family into that process to hold us accountable to do so. Please, Lord, you are our master. You are our Lord. You are our God. You are our everything. Lord, we answer to you and we want to follow you. We want you to be glorified in our lives. Please, Jesus, in your name, amen.